0: Good morning. Good morning. It is Wednesday, the 15th of February, 2023. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you for um, tuning in today. However it is that you and I are um, talking today, maybe it's over the Faith Radio app. Maybe you subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast. If so, then uh, you get the show notes um, for the program. And if you're listening live uh, on the radio, you can grab the show notes later today at myfaithradio.com. That's where you can get all the links to what we talk about here um, during the show, as well as um, links to the guests we talk with. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Lamentations chapter three. These are some of my, um, well, these are some of my heart verses for sure. um, Because the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness and his mercies begin fresh every morning. Um, The way I have that in my heart is that his mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. I rely um, every single day on the mercy of God and his faithfulness. So it's really not a question today about whether or not you're experiencing, um, a high or low in terms of your walk of faith, here is something you can trust. God is faithful and his mercies for you are new this morning. You can trust that because God is going to be God. He is not going to ever be anything but who he is. And great is his faithfulness with mercies new every morning. I don't know about you, but I could, um, I could just rest in that assurance for a few moments. God's mercies are new every morning including this morning, and his faithfulness is great. It is absolutely certain his mercies never cease. His faithful love, his hased love towards us never ends. I've been um, probably like you following the news out of Syria and Turkey in terms of, you know, after we pass the 200-hour mark, um, you know, just increasingly surprised that they continue to find survivors, people who have endured for more than eight days um, beneath the rubble. And so, um, you know, anytime the word miracle is used by the secular media, um, you know, my eyebrows go up and I take note. Um, And so for the New York Times and everyone else to be saying, you know, here are nine miracle stories um, 200 hours after the earthquake um, you know, I, I, think that that gives us as Christians an opportunity to talk about, um, life, the value of life, the will to live, the God behind it all, and what a miracle really is. Um, it also in this particular case gives us an opportunity to talk about, um, the reality that help has to come from the outside. There are, there is no way these people could dig themselves out, um, of the, of the trouble they're in help literally had to come from the outside. And for many people, help has come from the the outside. And then for others, help did not arrive soon enough. Um, So one very sad story um, that is probably echoed, well, certainly echoed tens of thousands of times. It's potentially echoed hundreds of thousands of times. And this is a story out of Syria, because as you will recall from our conversation yesterday with Luke Moon, Um, Help has not arrived there in the same way that it has arrived in southern Turkey. Um, So on Monday, here's the good news portion of this, the Syrian government did finally relent. Um, The regime of President Bashar al-Assad did grant the United Nations permission to begin sending aid into uh, these rebel-held portions of northwestern Syria. Um, They opened a number of border crossings with Turkey. But, you know, by then a week, more than a week had gone by had gone by since um, since the earthquake. And we have um, this this testimony. We're we're talking about uh, the death toll having now surpassed more than forty one thousand. But that number is going to rise because those are the confirmed dead. And we have this testimony of um, of this uh, man, uh, Mohammed Jassim. He's 21 years old. Um, And he tells this reporter for the Washington Post, I clawed with my own hands in the wreckage of our family home. I could hear them crying. I could hear them crying for four days. His relatives were trapped. He said, it's unimaginable. Everyone died because no one came to help me. Help has to come from the outside, my friends. Um, That is the gospel. Um, And Christ has come. Uh, I want to lift up a statement made by the president of Turkey, President Erdogan, who in celebrating these nine miracles, some, you know, 200 hours after the earthquake, um, there are these nine stories of two brothers and their mother uh, pulled from the rubble, um, a father and a daughter, three uh, young women in, in three different locations, a husband and a wife together all reached after more than 200 hours under the rubble Um And President Erdogan of Turkey said this, our search and rescue teams pulling out our citizens alive, even after many long hours, is the most important source of consolation amid this dark picture. The most important source of consolation? He is wrong. Amidst this dark picture and every other dark picture, amidst the darkness itself, the most important source of consolation is Christ. And I am holding out hope that God is going to get his glory and his witness even through this. Daryl Crouch is going to join us next. He is our friend from Everyone's Wilson. We like to talk about uh, God's word as the living word and then what it looks like to live out the word in the world today. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us again today, uh, Pastor Daryl Crouch. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. Good morning, Daryl.
2: Carmen, it's great to be with you. I hope you're having a good morning.
0: Uh, his mercies are new every morning, and his faithfulness is great. And so that makes every morning good, even if it's circumstantially not.
2: That's exactly right. He is faithful Amen. and true.
0: Amen. Amen. Um, I uh, One of my guests yesterday... Made reference without actually saying what it was, but made reference to Isaiah fifty five eleven, and I thought to myself, well, that's what I want to talk with Daryl about. <laughs> that's what that's what I want to talk about in terms of from the living word of God to living out the word of God. Isaiah fifty five eleven: So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth; it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed. In the thing for which I sent it. Now that's the Lord talking there. So, mm-hmm. what is going on here? What is the word of God? What does it mean for God to be sending it out from His own mouth? W- what does it mean that it has some work to accomplish? Like what? What's going on? This is a this is a great verse of Scripture, and I would just love for us to lay hold of it today.
2: Uh, isn't it, isn't it though? It's uh, what a joy and a privilege and, and uh, so important for us. So uh, in a very practical way, and I, I want to just try to dive in, in a very practical way, uh, the word of God is the 66 books of the Bible that we have, uh, that God has given to us. He has inspired, he moved men by the Holy Spirit, second Peter tells us. And uh, we're reminded that um uh the this is his word uh it's what we know as the canon of scripture which means measuring rod or the the fullness of god's word and so in a very practical way it's this book that we hold in our hands uh god has given to us and i, I think uh for us to uh know god uh we must uh, know his word Uh, He has revealed himself through his word. There's other ways that we know that God exists in creation, the sunrise, the sunset, uh, the way that the world works, and um, so on. And so we know that there's a God, but we know specifically who God is. It's one thing to know about a person. It's another thing to know a person. It's one thing to know that someone exists. It's another thing to know them personally. And so in that sense, The Bible is God's word. It is the specific revelation or unfolding or pulling the curtain back on who God is. And we we cannot know God if we do not know his word. We cannot fellowship with God if his word is not ingested into our hearts and minds. um, And uh, over time, regularly, um, like any relationship, it It takes time and it deepens and we learn new things through new experiences as we apply God's word to our lives and all of those things. But I think sometimes it's easy in in church or religious circles to talk in vague notions about the word of God and um, maybe assume that people know that, hey, these This Bible, this book, these 66 books that make up the canon of Scripture or what God has preserved for us, I think it's also really helpful to me on a personal level to know that the God, uh, or we can be more specific, that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words and moved these authors to write these words is the same Holy Spirit who preserved it over time um, uh, orchestrated its its binding, if you will, in the in this Bible that we have. But is is also the Holy Spirit who who teaches me and guides me to understand uh, these words and apply them to my life. In other words, this is not simply an academic exercise that we take on every day as we open our Bible and have what many of us call a devotional time. Or a quiet time. Uh, this isn't just an academic time where we ingest information, but the Spirit of God who inspired these words is also our teacher and guide into all truth. And He is with us. He is He dwells within us uh, in every believer. And um, um His His presence in us uh gives us insight and understanding and that builds intimacy with God. And so those are two two things I I wanted to start with today as we think about just the practical implications of God's Word and its power and purpose in our lives today.
0: We're going to continue our conversation with Pastor Daryl Crouch, and we're going to continue talking about Isaiah 5511. I want you to consider this. I want you to consider this. What does it mean for God to say, so shall my word be that goes out of, from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We should consider today as you open the word of God, um, what's God's purpose in having you have your eyes on those words today? What does he want to knit into your heart? What kind of intimacy does he want to cultivate with you? What kind of work does Is he seeking to accomplish? We're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand. No matter where you go, download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today.
2: God says of
0: his own word, that it it is sent forth from his mouth. God declares that his word will not return to him empty. It will accomplish that, um, that he purposes. It will succeed in the thing for which he sends it. We're talking with Pastor Daryl Crouch about Isaiah 55, 11 today. Um, Daryl, what does it mean for the word of God to have work to do or a purpose um, and, you know, like something that it's going to succeed in accomplishing? Like, what, what, what does that mean?
2: Well, uh, first of all, it gives us great confidence that uh, God is doing a work uh, and He does not fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we can speak of it in two ways. One, on a personal level, uh, the Word of God is powerful, like a two-edged sword. Uh, it um, uh, seeks—I um, wanted to read that, actually, if I could— Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so, um, well, first of all, all scripture is God breathed. It's useful. So that is in the sense to answer your question. This is from second Timothy three 16. It's useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, fully completing his purpose, fully equipped for every good work. So there is a personal work that God's word does in us to um accomplish his his purpose there is this is not a uh random um uh, hopefulness um Happenstance that may happen that we on a personal level have great confidence, and then the passage I um, started to butcher earlier Hebrews four twelve for the word of God is active, uh, alive, and active, sharper than any double edged sword. That's um, a scalpel kind of device. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. So, in a very personal way, uh, the the Bible um is a, a sanctifying work in us removing uh preconceptions moving sinfulness and foolishness from our hearts and minds removing uh challenging um actions that do not conform to the will and purpose of god so in a very personal way at the what well, we would maybe say sometimes the ground level in our own lives uh god's word does his its work in us that we may fulfill the purpose, that we may be conformed to the image of his son as Romans eight tells us. And so that's one area. The second area is more global or more universal that as God is working through his people, Uh, as his word is working itself out, kneading itself into the hearts and lives of his people, then he accomplishes his purpose on earth. The the gospel goes forth with power. The kingdom is advanced on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, we are prepared for a a future. Uh, We know that God is redeeming, Humans, He is redeeming people to himself, but he is also restoring creation to himself. And the word of God is his mechanism, if you will, his his method of doing that in the lives of his people. And we would call the church, the big C global church, those who know him and walk with him um, uh, in all ages at all times. And so there's both a personal work, Carmen, I think that's really important. For our listeners to say, you know, God has not abandoned me. He is at work in my life and he is going to accomplish what he purposes to accomplish in me. And then on a global scale, as we read the news and cultural shifts and social chaos, God is not aloof. He is at work and his word will not um, come back void or in vain. Uh, he uh, His word will not be wasted and his work is not... Um, in some kind of uh uncertain uh, there's not an uncertain future uh that um he is working all of creation to his purpose
0: that's so good i um I was struck as you were you know talking there about okay there's this personal way that God is working through his word in the life of the of the believer, and that's happening by the power of the holy spirit um that's happening and there is this work that God is seeking to accomplish through his word, both in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments and the person of Christ activated through the people of Christ, like this gospel going forth work. Um, and the, what the Lord brought to mind in the midst of that, um, Daryl, was, you know, we pray the Lord's prayer and we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. I think for for me, I have I have— most of the time focused on the second part of of the way we understand the word working in the world. Um, that, that's a gospel going forth kind of thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, because I see all of the ways that the world is not like what Jesus tells me the kingdom is like. But if I apply what we've learned today, then thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth is first personal to me. Mm-hmm. It's about... The Kingdom coming and the will of God being done on earth in me before yeah. i'm focused on how thy kingdom is going to come and his will be done on earth beyond me and i don't know i was just uh I was just momentarily convicted there as you were talking about you know the the way the the way the word is at work in the individual um is Critically important, as is the way the Word of God is at work in the world. And I think that we often, I often, I'll just own it, focus on the work that needs to be done in the world, and um am newly convicted that that scalpel needs to be doing its work in my own life as well. Yeah. So rich, yeah. so rich. Yeah, his so kingdom. rich
2: yeah yeah his his kingdom rule begins in our hearts mm-hmm. and so that's uh, the lordship of Christ issue and um we we speak of and it really is it does begin in our hearts and so the question for us today is the word of god is is it working itself out in us and um and then as it does that uh, god uh, positions us to be salt and light in the world and um And so, yeah, it certainly begins right here in our own hearts.
0: Mm, That's so good. Thank you so much. That's Pastor Daryl Crouch. You can find him at everyoneswilson.org. How is the Word of God operating in you today? We ask frequently, where in the Word are you? Um, I just want to ask that question today and ask, where in you is the Word? Like, right, where in the word are you today? And then where in you is the word evident today as well? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Water... Well, last Wednesday, the chapel service that started, um, at Asbury University, um, you know, chapel came to, right, that scheduled end. You know, you know how your worship services, you know, they're expected to start at, I don't know, our starts at 1030. Maybe your starts at 11 or 9 or 8 or whatever. But then there is this, like, anticipated, like, end, right? You know, the order of worship comes to an end. The pastor gives the benediction and everybody gets up and leaves very obediently, right? It's decent. It's it's in order. Well, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen last Wednesday at Asbury University, People didn't leave. People didn't leave, and they still haven't left, Um, and it has attracted more and more people. So many people have now arrived on the small campus of Asbury University that they can't all fit in the one auditorium, and so they are, it has uh, moved beyond the Hughes Auditorium now um, and uh, sort of spread across the campus, people meeting in various locations. Um, Yeah, continuously praying singing, um, repenting. It's, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on. So we want to talk, we want to continue talking about it. Um, Mark Turman is going to join us next from the Denison Forum. We're going to talk about, um, this, what certainly appears to be revival, right? Certainly appears to be revival, um, breaking out. Um, we're going to look at the revival that took place, uh, in the same location in 1970. Um, And we're going to ask ourselves, what would it look like? What would it look like for God to light the fire again? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Us now, our friend Mark Turman from the Denison Forum. Um, we are going to talk today about things that you can actually find at denisonforum.org. One of those is a reflection on what's happening at Asbury University. Mark, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Good morning. Great to be on with you today.
0: Hey, is it a revival?
1: Well, it sure has the marks of a revival. Uh, if you uh, are familiar with uh, these kinds of an events and movements, Uh, when it comes to uh, a number of people, a significant uh, response of people in a particular place, coming to uh, a new place or maybe for the first time a place of confession and repentance before God and turning to Him in uh, significant ways and focusing their life on His call in their life and doing that together. That's generally the way we would talk about revival and Uh, have seen that in various places, various universities and churches, and that certainly seems to be what's happening in a fresh and new way at Asbury.
0: You know, Mark, we have, um, I mean, you and I and others, we have been praying for revival. Um, This is a little place, in a little place. This is a small group of people, and we talk about, you know, where you might expect revival to break out, Um, This would be, you know, if if this is in fact what's happening, this would sort of be lightning striking twice.
1: Yes, and it's it's certainly been the case at Asbury, if you look back in their history going all the way back to 1905, other times 1970, 1992, uh, and was true of the college that I attended, a similar university here in Texas, about the same size, uh, not long after I graduated. Maybe it was because I graduated (laughs) that— Uh, an awakening or a revival, I should say, of this nature uh, occurred at my university as well and has occurred at various uh, times and in places, like I said, in churches, uh, in a community, in a university, universities particularly because young people are obviously uh, learning new things and they're stepping into their adulthood and confronting bigger questions, you might say, as they uh, try to work those things out in their minds and hearts, and just seeing that they're responsive to the movement of God, the call of God to relationship that they're sensing His love, responding to the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, and that God loves us in Christ, and uh like I said, either responding to that message for the very first time in active faith or maybe returning to it after a season of of drifting or of even you know outright rebellion. It just is fabulous to see what we would hope is that what's going on at Asbury would grow from uh, what we might call a localized revival into a cultural awakening that would move in large scale even across our whole country and even in the whole West of what we call Western culture because it's desperately needed.
0: So one of the things that you guys pointed to – um at the Denison Forum, you pointed to a piece by Tim Keller that recently appeared in The Atlantic or at TheAtlantic.com. American Christianity is due for a revival. Our society is secularizing, and Christianity seems to be in long-term decline. But renewal is possible. Um, you know, uh, Tim points to his own experience of um, of the church in America and its witness, um, sometimes failing uh, you know, over the course of the last several decades, um, talk with us about the hope that he casts here. Like this question: Can Christianity grow again? Can revival take place? Can the culture be renewed?
1: Well, absolutely, it can, and that is always our hope, Carmen. If we if we ever give up the hope that change can come in our own lives, our own families, and in our own generation, then we really have. Uh, we really have given up the very essence of what the gospel is all about. The gospel is always a message of hope and a a message of change uh, personally and culturally. And I love what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller is just um, such a hero to so many of us in evangelical faith and in wide circles and just love the, the thing that he points out here. And if you look through not only American history, but also biblical history, you see that this uh, cycle does come certainly we see it in the old testament right where uh israel is walking with god and then they choose to get distracted they choose to walk away and they go into a time of decline and uh sometimes just incredibly uh profound brokenness and then they come to a season of renewal and that happens sometimes in our own lives and and certainly seems to be happening in our culture um, but that's a lot as as uh, Keller points out, others like Carl Truman have pointed out this hyper individualism that we have in American culture drives so much of that used to be held in check. As Keller points out through another author, uh, behel- being held in check by the strong religiosity and spirituality of America. But that has been on the decline. And and so what we're seeing in terms of the fracturing of our country and and the moral decline is really. Uh, the testament to what it means when you just try to live your life without God and without mm-hmm. the love that God has for all of us, that leads us into places of chaos and brokenness that we're seeing on a daily basis.
0: So again, we're talking with Mark Turman from the Denison Forum. You can find um, the piece we're discussing at denisonforum.org, and I'll also drop all the links in the show notes today. Um, one of the maybe most important things to recognize uh, when we talk about revival. And Tim Keller points this out in his piece as well. Um, This does not mean that we're all going back to the 1950s. Like, I I think that part of what has to be said out loud is revival is a fresh wind of God's spirit and it moves the body of Christ forward. It advances the kingdom um, of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And it does so in ways that, are often very disruptive to people who have grown quite comfortable being the "quote unquote" church in, you know, casting stones at the culture. Um, and so, the I just think that like that has to be said out out loud, Mark. This is um, this is not your old fashioned church set in its ways, going to suddenly be filled with new believers who are going to conform to the way you've always done it in your little church like, is that fair?
1: Well, I think it's fair. And obviously we would hope that it would start and spread within the churches. Uh, But sometimes revival comes from some aspect outside. Sometimes it is a university uh, or some other type of of movement that God, you know, God can't be put in a box and he can't be put in a formula. And sometimes uh, the church, or at least portions of the church, can be the last to recognize a fresh movement of God and respond to it, because as you said, we get stuck in our ways, and we get to thinking that our way of thinking is the most holy way. Uh, All of us as Christians have this danger, this temptation to become, instead of uh, humbly righteous before God and in Christ, we become self-righteous. Uh, And we see that happening in the Bible. We see that happening with the Pharisees, who initially in their history really just wanted to passionately follow after God. But over time, they replaced that genuine passion with a self-formed legalism that became all about rules. And we've seen that in our own history. You referenced the 1950s, you know, uh, some of the revivals that happened through Billy Graham and through others in that part of our history they, they started to shake up the church, particularly around uh, civil rights and racial relations, and that might be a part of what God is going to do in, uh, in this setting as well, is to break down some of our errant thinking that is in the church. And sometimes he does that from a movement that starts outside of the church, at least in terms of what we typically call the local church.
0: I just wanted to be sure that, like, we're just sort of, like, all prepared for how disruptive um, a revival might be. Like, the revival for which you've been praying might not be quite what God sends. And um, I just I just think we have to be prepared for that um, because uh, I anticipate that, um, you know, if, well, certainly if this is genuine revival, then it is going to um, spill over. Um, out into the wider culture, um, it's not going to stay contained in Wilmer, Kentucky, uh, at Asbury University. Um, and as we see that taking place, I mean, God's gonna, God's gonna bring people to faith. He's gonna bring people to renewed faith. He is going to um, revive the broken, and that that's going to mean that people who um, haven't ever ever asked before, "Hey, who is this Jesus?" and and who are his people, and what does it look like for um, for me now to walk out of this darkness in which I've been living into the marvelous light? Like Mark, there are a lot of churches in America that are not prepared to receive a detransitioning teenager um, who's been confused by the culture and is tatted and pierced and self-mutilated, like just not ready to receive that person and walk with them the journey of faith that lies ahead, one of redemption and one of hope, and one where you know God God gives uh, generations of of family to a eunuch. And I just think we have to say that out loud.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the idea of disruption is, is exactly right, Carmen. That uh, we don't get to control what God is trying to stir in us and how He's trying to bring us to a place where we see things that. For a long time, we've had trouble seeing or have refused to see, and so we have to welcome the movement of God, whatever form that it takes, whatever disruption it brings to us uh, on a personal level and on a congregational level, and uh, we have to be humble before Him. I think that's the most important thing, is that we say, God, we want this on your terms, and we want this the way you want it to be, not the way we would necessarily say it should be, and that it would focus on Uh, understanding God's love for us, and then that love causing us to love, as you said, a lot of people that we probably easily don't love right now, and that may be the truest measure of revival. Is it causing us to come before God in gratitude for this enormous, unconditional love that He has for us, and then is that same kind of love starting to take root and have fresh expression in our lives to uh, the people around us, especially the people that we prefer to ignore mm.
0: all right um apparently the uh, move of the of the spirit is spreading um Lee University is reporting um, uh, an ongoing experience um much like what is happening at asbury uh, Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, so I just want to you know, just continue lifting this up. And now that everyone is freaked out um, that, you know, change is coming. Uh, yes, let's affirm that the message never changes. How in the midst of a changing culture do Christians know the truth? This is a conversation about authority. It is uh, the topic of this week's Denison Forum podcast, and we're going to ask Mark Terman about that next. Who or what is your authority? thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Mark Terman from the Denison Forum, you can find what we're discussing at denisonforum.org. Mark, I'd love to talk with you about the latest podcast that you and Jim have posted, Authority in Modern America. How do Christians know the truth? Um, Why don't you set up the question of authority in America for us?
1: Uh, One of the things we are seeing is the playing out of authority Uh, in our culture in in a lot of different ways. We're certainly living in a culture, as Dr. Dennison has written on a number of occasions, talks about this regularly, that we we now live in a culture where truth is considered personal and subjective, and the biggest uh, expression of that is seen in the various uh, forms of sexuality, where uh, people are saying, you don't have a right to tell me what's right or wrong, Uh, in terms of my sexual expression, orientation, all those kinds of things. Well, that comes from this idea that authority is is found in truth and that truth for, for many in our culture is determined to be personal and subjective. That is, you have your truth, I have my truth. And as long as your truth doesn't harm me, you go live yours and I'll go live mine. We all have some sense of authority in our life but we're not choosing for that authority to be God. We're not choosing for it to be the Bible, his word. Uh, We're choosing for it to be us. And as we talked a moment ago, that's an expression, another expression of our hyper-individualism, but it's not working well. And we're glad that we are a nation of laws rather than of lords. We're glad when we see uh, that, Our leaders, whether it's in the church or in the government or in business, we're glad when we see them being held accountable by authority, but we're often sometimes not willing to live or to even consider that same kind of authority for ourselves. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it, and we're struggling uh, as a culture to have a shared consensus of authority and around that, to be able to build community,
0: so I find um in conversations related to this topic um the the most essential um posture for me is non defensiveness like i I have to I have to not imagine that um, god's authority is actually impugned by the licentious living of an individual. Like I I have to I I'm not in the world like God does not need me to to defend him in that way. My my role is to ask enough probing questions that maybe the other person will begin to ask the authority question for themselves. This has been my experience anyway, um Mark, like I um, I remember sitting down with in an extended conversation with uh, a woman who is an ordained pastor in a mainline denomination. She also happens to be a partnered gay woman, and um, and I just remember just you know saying to her, okay, just just help me understand. You took ordination vows in which you expressed that your life is lived under the authority of Christ, and you that you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ, you know, and the church today and God's word to you. Um, You talk, you know, you, you, you said you would submit to the authority of the confessions of the church. And I said, help me understand how you are living in your life under the authority of anyone but yourself. Like, how are you living under the authority of the scriptures? And the reality is she had no answer to that question. Now I don't know where she went from there in terms of you know the struggle in her own life um but that's the question we have to find a way to ask in real relationship it's the it is the question of authority
1: Yes and I and I love what you said there especially there at the end is how do we have that conversation in a non combative way Now mm-hmm. I, I do think that you know as believers we ought to hate sin and hate what sin is doing in the lives of people in terms of its destructiveness but we don't hate people and we understand that as you said god needs to get us to a place where our best witness is going to come out of a place of of humility of curiosity and of relationship to Just know why this person thinks the way that they think. Why do they believe what they believe? And how have they come to that place in their life? You know, the Bible says in places like James that the anger of man doesn't accomplish the righteousness of God. Every time I remember that verse, it helps me to be less defensive because I do find myself at times getting offended at Uh, at at sin that is around me, sin that is in somebody else's life near me, and it's easy for me to fall into that place of becoming defensive and becoming angry and slipping into uh, kind of an attack mode rather than a place of humility and relationship and saying, you know what, God can handle himself. I'm here to be a witness, and I'm here to be a person of care, and yes, I should I should find creative, uh, caring ways to inquire about this person, to build a relationship with this person, and to ask, why are they making the decisions that they're making? What is authoritative in their life? And that's what I, some of what I loved about this podcast with Dr. Dennison was just talking through that and how uh, he and Keller, Tim Keller and others to talk about okay, you can go down this road, but it becomes exhausting when you have to become the, uni- the king of the universe for yourself. You find out that you're very ill-equipped to do that and that being your own authority uh, in this individualized culture leads you to a place of, of isolation and oftentimes to a place of great fear because we know intuitively that we are inadequate for doing that. We're terrible at being God.
0: Mhm. Yeah. We are inadequate and terrible at being God. Um that is so helpful. I appreciated where you guys headed um in this conversation really in this uh, way of equipping us as individuals and part of the priesthood of all believers and um helping us to be grounded um in the scriptures of the old and new testaments, you know, as the authority for our lives. So I I I loved where you landed the plane in this question of um, how do Christians know the truth in the culture today. The podcast is Authority in Modern America. I'll drop the link in the show notes today, or you can find it directly at denisonforum.org. Mark, as always, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Carmen. Hope you have a blessed day.
0: Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. God calls you to be. Be who God calls you to be. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles may have lost the Super Bowl, but uh, Jalen Hurts um, won the interview contest, in my personal opinion. So, this actually happened last Thursday, prior to the Super Bowl, um, and I I suspect it was asked by a um, a reporter who who was you know hoping to offer a little gotcha to a Christian. A very public Christian, Jalen Hurts is a fellow believer. And so, you know, Jalen Hurts is asked, Well, what are you gonna ask God for on Sunday? And I just want to read Jalen Hurts's um full reply. Oh, I don't have time. I going I got like fifteen seconds, don't I, Paul? Yeah, I'm gonna have to I gotta read it to the top of the next hour. Okay. I promise. When we come back from a very brief uh segue here into hour two of Mornings with Carmen, I promise I'm gonna read the whole quote by Jalen Hurts. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.